don't think anybody comes to a conference with intent to peacock, right? Well, I, actually, I'm going to disagree with you right there. Let me, I'm going to reel that back in. We're about to adventure into session six of the Coworking Weekly Show, which is actually the second part of a conversation between my good friend Adam Tedderis and I. Uh, we're recapping our experience at the annual Coworking Europe Conference, which this year was held in beautiful Lisbon, Portugal. Being that this is part two of the series, if I were in your shoes, I'd go back and listen to session number five and get caught up. Then again, if you don't mind your conversations as a bit more of a jigsaw puzzle, then by all means, you can continue listening. In this conversation, Adam and I talk about our highlights from the conference, the sessions that we got the most out of, and the connections and conversations that stuck with us the most. Highlights of our highlights include whether or not anything stood out to us as different, either better or worse, from years previous. I'll give you a hint. The answer is yes. Also, we noticed that you could tell something about the attendees of the conference just by looking at the on-conference board. Something actually really remarkable. But this conversation really heats up when we start to talk about the bigger picture. How do we take the experiences and lessons from the conference in Lisbon home with us? to our communities, to our team members, and to our collaborators. Because here's the real deal. This conversation isn't about the Coworking Europe conference. I mean, it is, but it's really about how we do our everyday work and I think part of what happens next for coworking. You really don't want to miss this conversation. I know it's easy to overuse that phrase, but I truly mean it this time. Adam and I really let ourselves get honest about some tough realities in this session. So listen, now or later or sometime today, I promise this session will be worth your time. You're still here, so I'm going to assume that you're ready for this intro to be over and for the episode to begin. So, here we go. I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and hey, I'm so glad you're here. I genuinely think that was my favorite workshop we've ever run. It was a blast. Yeah, you know, it's. I don't know if it was the the largest group, although it may have been. It certainly, the, the auditorium was full. I think we had possibly over half of the entire conference's attendance in the room, uh, which f- was really, really great. But more importantly, people were really engaged yeah. the in- the entire time. Everyone was really into it. Like, uh, and it, it was early, it was raining, but everybody came out and people were really, I don't know, it, it felt like they were excited to be there. And that changes everything entirely. It's so much more fun when everyone is in on it. Well, and, and while we've been waiting here for, for one of these delicious uh, sausage sandwiches that, that they had outside for us, which was so so good. Outside, it smells very nice. Yeah, and uh, and we were we were hungry for a while, but mostly because we kept getting stopped by people who had been in the workshop and saying so many nice things, and how for many of them it was you know a highlight of the entire conference for them, which uh, we can't thank you enough. That that really does it means so much to us. It does. It means a lot. So thank you very much. So while we're on the topic of, of highlights, um, since I don't think it's fair for us to say our workshop was our highlight of the conference, uh, even even if it was, I don't think that's a, that's a fair thing to say. Why don't we talk about some of the things that were, were highlights of um, the last couple of days for us? Yeah, yeah I think it would be really fun to uh, try to compare things we talked about on day one to now it's the conference is over and it's just parties now uh, so we can talk about some of the things that we like the most and I, I have to say you and I talked about this a few times but it seems like there was a higher level of of attendance, like uh, intellectual attendance, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I noticed the same thing. I spoke to some uh, some other folks who have been years prior. They said the same thing. And actually where it stood out the most to me, and we're saying higher level, um, I think a better way to describe it is people are doing. The people that were here yeah. were, you know, I think in years past, coworking has been going through this shift where people are sniffing around and are like, is there an opportunity here? Is there something... You know, there, I think there was still a degree of uncertainty, and for a large percentage of the conference goers, especially the first-time conference goers, they were people who were there sort of scouting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think in years past, it seems like a lot of brainstorming, and now we have a lot of people getting together and talking about the things that they've done already, or or that are in progress. Like yeah. I can't think of many people who were not actively 
doing something. So when they ask a question or when they're 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 work they're you know they're stuck on something and they want to find out from us, the the question's coming from a really different place and it's one where uh, the the questions themselves are like it's easier for me to answer a question when it's based in reality, oh, yeah. and all these people are working, thankfully, uh, most of them anyway, are working in some version of reality versus in hypotheticals. And when you're asking questions based on hypotheticals or what ifs, um, it, it, I think there's just so much room to wander and end up getting sort of stuck and end up in these sort of weird ephemeral conversations where. I don't know, it's less satisfying for me, and I feel like I can help less. Oh, absolutely. And last year, I, I can think of standing in Barcelona in the room and looking at the unconference board and seeing a lot of tickets that said the what-if uh, proposition. What is Gorkin going to be like in 10 years, in, in 15 years? Uh, what tools will we be using? Who will be a part of Gorkin? There were a lot of uh, speculative unconference topics. This one... You, I mean, you could take a look at the board yesterday if someone took a picture, and it's a ton of stuff based on things that actually happens. Triaging, problem solving. Um, these are things that I actually encountered, and I need to share them and talk about them. Um, it's, it, it is a completely different conversation when you don't have to make shit up. Yeah, that's I, yeah. I think you're right. The unconference board is probably the easiest place to spot the difference. Um, and I hope somebody did take a really good picture of what was on the board because I, I think it was indicative of uh, the kinds of things that are on people's minds. That's the beautiful thing about an unconference. That's why I think we love it is because it's a good clue as to what people care about enough to want to organize a session about whether, like you said, it's something that they ran into and they wanted to share a problem they're trying to solve or they're wanting to prompt. For, for a conversation. So on that on-conference board, I know you and I went to some of the same things. We ran a session together. Yeah. Um, uh, we went to some of the same sessions, some different sessions. What were some of the, the best sessions? What were some of the standout sessions for you? Uh, you know, it, my favorite, this is a little egotistical because this is something that I pitched, but my favorite session was about failures and sharing failures. And the, the card that I put up on the wall says, well, I'm never going to fuck that up again. All right, so hang on a second. Before we go into that, that, that's sort of from our conversation on day one where we sort of ended with a challenge of going out and talking to people about, about like, real problems. I did it. You did I, it. I did it. Well, yeah. did you do it before the unconference? Did you get to have any conversations one-on-one -on -one with people? Uh, how did, did that work? How did that go? I did have conversations with that. Actually, um, it, was, it was perfect timing. After you and I finished talking and recording, I walked in from the balcony. I ran into someone that I saw last year. Um, God, I'm sorry for the life of me. I cannot remember her name. And uh, we ended up talking about how we've been in the meantime. And she asked the question, how is Indy Hall? And I said, we're doing well, but... And I ended up talking to her a little bit about, uh, uh, about the issue that we had with that very, very, very overcrowded Night Owls night. So we had a, a situation where our team wasn't communicating different events that were all being planned for the same evening. Right, we talked about this back in uh, episode three, four. Number four. Is it four? Number four, yeah. Four, yeah. Um, and, I mean, that was something that I've been thinking about a lot because that that ended up being a conversation about effective over-communication. And I think that was something that was worth sharing. We talked about that for a long time. She mentioned that she's having a hell of a time with communication with her team because her team is spread out throughout the entire United States. I mean, you and I and Sam are all in the same place for the better part of the entire week or month or always. And she has the same problems, but they span a greater distance. So it's even more difficult for her to communicate effectively. Um, and we just talked about that. We talked about the problems that she's having with her team. We, we traded kind of trade secrets. Like, here's what's working for me and what do you think works for you? It was a totally different conversation. We so, were just exchanging pleasantries. So the, the challenge worked? The challenge worked. For at least one conversation. Is that the only one you had like that? Uh, that was not the only one that I had like that. Not at all. Did, did you have some yourself? Yeah, I had a couple, and you know, I'm I'm a little, I'm actually a little bit worn out from our workshop, so my brain's a little blurry to even think of a specific <laughs> example. Um, although I know I, it was it was a really really great to to your point. It was all the conversations we had were great. Yeah, being able to lead with that. Yeah, I, you know, things are good, but there's this thing that I'm working on, and it's not so well. Yeah, and you know, the cool thing about it, and what you were describing was was interesting because I experienced something really similar, where it's sort of an invitation to that person to say, oh, 
I, I have that problem also, or even if they don't, to, to for them to sympathize or offer a suggestion. And, you know, honestly, maybe they, we've already thought of it. Yeah. And maybe we've already tried it and it didn't work. That doesn't matter. I don't think that's a reason to shut down that conversation before it even has a chance to happen. I don't think anybody comes to a conference with intent to peacock, right? The idea well, well okay, I, actually, okay. I'm going to disagree with well, you right there. On. Let me – I'm going to reel that back in. <laughs> I think the people that I want to be talking to do not come with intent to peacock. But when they see other people doing that as behavior, that's accepted as, uh, okay, so this is what people are doing in the room. That, that makes it so much more difficult to share vulnerability. Oh, that's really interesting. So, I mean – I mean, this is a lesson that connects into our co-working spaces, right? You set a social norm. People behave a certain way. And it's going to suggest to the other participants, even if it was not their intent or even sort of their default operating mode or whatever you want to call it, they're going to they're gonna start acting that way. It's a yes. little bit of monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. It's a little bit of, you know, uh, you know we want to fit in. Um, and the second somebody's talking about, you know, how fancy their furniture is or how much investment they've taken, uh, that's where the conversation trends to. So, uh, you know, I guess to, to sort of put this all with a neat little bow on it, when we started this conversation a couple of days ago is what kind of conference do we want to have? Yes. And the best way to get even close to that is to start having the conference we want to have. Yeah. And I'm really interested in if anybody who talked to us in those sort of elements of vulnerability and sharing something that's a little bit tougher, did that change the way you interacted with other people? Did that send sort of a ripple effect through through your conference or make your, make your mind stick on something a little bit different than maybe it was before we had that conversation? And by the way, it doesn't have to stay trapped in the conference, right? These conversations are going to influence the conversations you have with your partners, your team members, your community members when you get back home. So if you are used to having these conversations with people here in this context... I think that's going to emanate out, and that's only a benefit for when you get home and you're having uh, more important, more valuable conversations with, with your people. Right. I mean, that's how we, we very intentionally wrap up our workshops is like not just here are your takeaways, but specifically we suggest where to take them, and it's back to your community. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not stuff just for you to noodle on today or on the flight home. It's stuff for you to go home, and it's all actionable. We've chosen the stuff to give you. Uh, to be actionable because we want you to take action and we know that if you take action, you're going to start getting really awesome results. So um, let's get back to what you were starting to say about the unconference session about, you know, so, you know, we can have a limited number of conversations one-on-one, one-on-one conversations are great. Cool thing about an unconference conversation is you don't know who's going to be there. You don't know how it's going to go. And so you said, all right, well, let's do an unconference session sort of based on where we left that conversation about fuck ups, about problems, failures, um, and as I recall, somebody else had suggested something similar. Our sessions got combined at the last minute. Um, Hans. Yes, Hans from, uh, from Beta House yeah. in, uh, in Munich. I think in Munich. I think in Munich. Yeah. Um, Apologies, Hans, if we got that wrong. Uh, um, so what was it about that session, apart from the fact that you suggested it, uh, that was a highlight for you? I, it was a completely different... It was a completely different tone of conversation that was happening in that session. It was, it was perfect that we were positioned backstage. We were behind the scenes, and we were having very important conversations about the construction of our communities or deconstruction of our communities. And when someone raised their hand to offer something, it wasn't along the lines of, uh, here's what I do, and I'm trying to give everyone an example of what I do. It was more along the lines of help. Here's what I did. Has anyone else gone through this? Can someone help me? And it was, the, I mean, it was an offer. It was an offer. It was an invitation for someone else to be a part of the conversation rather than uh, what I, I think I've been used to from other or conferences, which is a lot of soapbox. Like, uh, take your, here's your turn, get on the soapbox, say your thing, you're done, that's it. 
And also, I, I didn't feel as though there was one definitive leader of the entire conversation. A lot of people were contributing. And the more people contributed, it, it, was, it caught on like a fever. Yeah, people. and I was actually, I, you know, I think that the, when, uh, when we sat down to start the conversation, did a couple of things up front. One was, and part of the reason we're not going to go into any details about the things that were said in that failure conversation. It was personal. It was personal and uh, I, I opened with saying, what if, like, in the interest of getting really good stuff out, let's keep this off the record. Yep. Um, so people, if, you know, unless somebody explicitly says this is okay to share or I'd like you to share, everything in that session was off the record, which I think is a really valuable thing to create that little, sp- you know, space of, of intimacy and trust. Um, and, you know, look around the room and acknowledge, is everybody cool with that? And people seemed really appreciative of that. The other thing was we set a, a time limit. Um, of, of five minutes per person. So you know, people in these on-conference sessions often tend to wander. Yes. Uh, and so when people got into it knowing they only had five minutes, you know, drop some of the backstory, get straight to the actual mistake. Um, and not all of the mistakes that were failures or fuck-ups or whatever you want to call it that people offered came with solutions. Some of them did, and yeah. some of them were very good. Yeah. Um, but some of them were open-ended catharsis yeah. in a way. It was simply... Like I haven't – I don't think anybody actually said this, but I got this feeling of I haven't really told anybody about this before because yeah. nobody else would get it. Oh, there was a huge feeling of people just letting their – letting go, letting yeah. a little bit of stress off their shoulders like, oh my god, thank god somebody finally asked me about this yeah. because this was the first time that I really had a chance to share it with people who understand – I mean, that's that's a big difference. How are you supposed to give this stuff to someone who doesn't even know what co-working is? Right. And one of the big takeaways from that session for me was that even when we think we are, we're not really alone. Yeah. People go through similar things all the time. Some of the problems we encounter are avoidable. That doesn't – once we're in them, that doesn't matter as much anymore. Yeah. The, that sharing those those actual problems um, can, can get us – real resolution and good ideas and if nothing else a sense of you know <laughs> uh that th- i'm not alone in this yeah that that was a really huge highlight for me for the unconference day i loved that unconference that was awesome one of one of my favorites was uh, a session that john markwell from the skiff uh we've met john in years past oh, yeah. uh we've become friends over the years mm-hmm. uh john uh, prompted a session about measuring community and you know it's sort of a sub question of should we even do it um it was a small smaller group but really really high quality conversation including some you know respectful disagreement was there a resolution should we even measure community um I, you know i don't think there was a definitive yes we should we had some conversation around the um and i wish i i always forget who it is probably peter drucker ism uh something along the lines of you know you can only manage what you measure yeah um, and we don't love the idea of managing communities, but you should know what's going on. So for, from the perspective of, um, yes, I'm getting better at it, or there is a problem, having some metrics is useful. Um, I shared some of the stuff that we've sort of come up with over the years, yeah. including things like you know time to participation, time to friendship, or time to relationship, mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of these sort of fuzzier things uh, like relationship. Um, you know, what does that mean? When you strap it to a timeline-based thing, it becomes much easier to measure. You're not really measuring the depth of the relationship because in some cases, you could wonder, how could you? Sure. But if somebody's made any relationship versus no relationship, you know, how, how smoothly does that happen? A proxy for that is, how long does it take? Uh, and, and I know one story um, was, you know, when a, you know, a member comes into the co-working space and six months later they say, you know, you told me this place was, you know, full of people that like to collaborate and talk to each other. I've been here for six months and I haven't met anybody. Well, that's embarrassing. Sure. Um, and how do, you, how do you know that that is happening or how do you even know to look for that sort of thing happening? You've got to be intentional about it. Yeah. Um, but there was other, just other really interesting things around, uh, you know, m- around measuring 
you know, the, the network, uh, you know, do you measure scale? I think there was a general agreement that scale and size is a pretty lousy proxy for measuring community. Sure. It's just not, it's not useful. It's easy to cheat. Um, it's easy to inflate. Uh, and it doesn't really tell you anything about the health or the dynamics or the value. Um, I brought up some stuff about retention because that's sort of been really big on my mind recently. Now, did you talk about uh, uh, the bullseye model, which is something that we just talked about in our workshop? You know, I didn't, and, and that's sort of a high-level measurement of community. Yeah, know? and I, I, you know, I think in the context of the way we were talking about it, I think that's more of a more of a map than a measure. Yeah, I think there's measurement elements to it, and that was sort of where where the idea was born of mm-hmm. uh, from the bullseye model. But we were talking more about sort of in the like in the actual actions and, and interactions and things like that. Um, but I would say for for the it was a conversation that I had not heard before. Yeah. It was a new conversation, uh, which I really, really liked. So highlights, I mean, there were a lot of highlights. And I think a lot of them are based on higher level of intellect and people wanting to have uh, bigger questions answered from actual experiences. Or I should say probably the opposite, smaller questions answered that have bigger impact because they come from actual experiences. And sharing vulnerabilities and sharing failures and communication of more personal things, those were highlights. But what about, um, what about just general takeaways, like things that you – what are you going to go home with thinking about because of the conference? Well, you know, so I think that we're at a point where – and I've known this for a while and you've known this for a while. And I had this conversation with a number of people who are – sort of more more veteran attendees and you know, they've been to more than one conference um, and the the honest truth and this is hard to say uh, because we don't want to like upset the organizers uh, because we really do genuinely appreciate what they do yeah. but this conference isn't for us and it hasn't been for us in a long time yeah. we come out of a sense of uh, of of duty, I think. Uh, in addition to enjoying seeing friends and making new friends, not that we don't get anything out of it, but the conference itself is not for us. And we sort of talked about this a couple of days ago. I think um, you know that there's the newbies each year, and I think the newbie population in coworking is growing. Uh, our population it is growing, but not as much, not as quickly. Uh, and I think that. There's a need for something else, something more, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not totally sure what it is. Um, you know, what one one thought that comes to mind is some some active tumbling. Uh, you know, you and I are going to put the work into connecting with the other attendees uh, on a more meaningful level. Could that be built into the conference itself somehow? The last couple of conferences we've gone to, there's been that like icebreaker activity, yeah. which is like it's a step in the right direction. But it's also, I don't think there's a lot of depth yeah, to it. I think the intent is really good, and the result of having people talk to one another is really great. But it's not the level of mindfulness or thoughtfulness that is appropriate or important, I think, for talking to one another. Well, and again, I, I, I don't think these conferences are exactly the place for that. Right. It, it could happen, but I think there's something, something else that needs to be added. Well, that's an interesting epiphany that I had this week, which is over the years I've thought co-working is, is not going to go away. Co-working gets mainstream. More people become a part of it. Conferences get larger. More people get invited. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, and I, 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 I reasoned that that is okay. And like you said, out of a sense of duty, we, we sort of stand as the old guard and help people inside and get situated so they can figure those nitty-gritty things out for themselves. However, my epiphany is now, as we get bigger as a movement, as an industry, more nuanced, the thing that I want to do most is get smaller and closer and more personal. And You and I had a retreat with dear friends of ours in Seattle, and it was, it, it, it was priceless. The conversations that we had with one another because we trust each other, because we understand each other, th- that was invaluable. And there was a very small group of people over a very small amount of time. Those are the things that I encourage for everyone to do. Satellite, right? Um, and it's really tough to do that as a massive you know, 400-person conference over a span of three days. 
and I can't stress enough again, uh, Jean Yves and everyone who organized the conference, all stars, absolutely amazing. But the the realization that I think you and I are having, and maybe a few others, is I want to get deeper and smaller. Well, and in that point, you know, these big conferences continue to serve a purpose um, as a touch point for one, and, and, and has been, and that's a big thing that draws us back, but also a feeder in a way. We go to these conferences, and I leave with a couple of new, really great friends that I look forward oh, to yeah. seeing, uh, you know, to seeing again, and would like to spend, you know, rather than fleeting minutes in between sessions and, you know, a few, maybe a few too many beers, uh, <laughs> um, like... I would love to spend two or three days with that person and a few other people. So, um, you know, what what does this look like? Do we do we go regional? Do we, uh, you know, I know Alex, uh, Alex. There's so many Alexes. Too many Alexes. Oh my god! Yeah, so French Alex. French Alex, who works with um, with Nico at uh, Les Satellites in Nice, France. Uh, France. France, you're getting all of our terrible accents in one, one complete package. Uh, she was talking about wanting to do a regional France, France yes. um, event and something a bit more towards the unconference, a bit more towards the retreat. I think she had in her head that it needed to be a large-scale production. And yeah. after going to this, realizing there's a place for that, but that's not what she wants to help facilitate. Uh, and I think that... For for the folks who maybe uh, aren't Alix, to give yourself that permission mm-hmm. to say, I don't need to put on a huge event with ish international attendees in order for it to be valuable or impactful, mm-hmm. is itself very valuable and impactful. Come to that realiza- realization. Give yourself that permission. Um, I mean, I have experience in this both as an attendee, as an organizer, the retreat you just mentioned, the event that, that my friend uh, Amy Hoy and I do for bootstrap business people, product people here in Philadelphia is intentionally very small yeah. for a lot of reasons. But one of the big ones is, is so that we can enjoy it ourselves. Yeah. If you're going to put in the work to bring people together, you better get some value out of it for you too. I think that's a part of what makes it sustainable. So I want to see sustainability from more people in this industry in general yeah. that includes the sort of meta players the people who organize these events that bring the players together um i want you guys to be looking out for yourselves and not uh and making sure that you can keep doing what you do because it's important yeah and in these all of these sentiments about the conference and conferences in general these are parallel to the way that i personally feel about co-working in general, um, about sustainability, about being smaller and deeper and closer. And those things are totally okay. Those are great. And to borrow from your book of phrases, you know, uh, bigger is not better. Better is better. Yeah, and we're, we're in desperate need of, of some better uh, in, in this realm of, of co-working industry or community gatherings. Uh, you know, one of the, I think when people, I hear it in our workshops, but I also hear it in these events when we go to it. Um, and I don't know who else it gets said to or how often it gets said. Mm-hmm. But I think people go looking for new ideas. Yeah. And I think that these gatherings are a good place to get new ideas. I think what people forget to look for is to have some reaffirmation and some reassurance, maybe some reminders of why you got into this in the first place. Um, that's something that I know I hear on the co-working weekly newsletter all the time is I got into this to make my city better, to help bring together the local you know, creative community or the local uh, business community, whatever it might be, uh, to, to help fix up a part of a neighborhood, um, to bring historical building back to life, whatever it is, whatever it is. Sometimes, and I would wager often, People lose track of why they got into it. They get caught up in the minutiae. They get caught up in the challenges. They get caught up in setting big goals so that they can impress people, whether those people are their members, their investors, whatever it is, and they forget 
why they got into it in the first place. You can never, ever, ever sacrifice why you started in the first place because you that is the most important driving factor of everything you do. Right. Well, and you say you, you can't, and the truth is, is people do. Well, yeah, I, I mean to say you can't in the way of You saying, can't afford to. You cannot afford to. Because the people who do, I see consistently the people who struggle the most. Yeah. They... In in the simplest of terms, have lost their way, yeah. and uh, and my hope is that these kinds of events, one thing that I see happen, but it happens on the fringes, and and would be so amazing to see it happen more, is is a more more reaffirmation of why you got into it, why is this different, why is this valuable, why is this worth your time. I remember I was speaking with one woman uh, from uh, from Brazil, I believe, who she's her family is in real estate, um, and she looks at this and goes, I could be making way more money doing almost anything but this. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, and then why are you doing it? She goes, because it makes me happy. Yeah. And because I'm doing something that's important to me. And I know, and this is still her speaking to me, she says, I know that I need to find a way to do this more sustainably. And I said to her, that's important too. You know, you need to make sure that you can keep doing what you do if it's truly good, because sacrificing other elements of your quality of life over the long term is going to mean that you're not going to be able to keep doing that thing that you love or that makes you happy or that makes your community happy. Uh, and I see that happen all the time. Um, you know, the, the, the happy middle ground is not just in perfect communities where uh, everybody gets everything for free. Uh, and it's also not in these high-scale, highly profitable, pro-working whatever. Pro-working. I hate that word. You take the only word out of co-working that actually matters, the hyphenated the co. The together part. And you, and you, and what, what, the context doesn't make any sense. It's silly. It's so stupid. Um, <laughs> that's as much energy as we need to spend on that. But the, the and the sentiment is off base just as much. And just as much as people laugh and shirk at sort of the hippie commune aspects of co-working, we should laugh and, and shirk at the, you know, the hyper business, hyper transaction. And that's not to say that you can't make, biz- make business successful. Yeah. You can't be profitable. You should. You absolutely should and you can. But when you start making trade-offs, the things that you value, the things that you know create the most value, that's when you start to lose. And then you start to scramble and flail. And the second you're scrambling and flailing, not only are you not going to be successful, everyone can tell. Yeah. Everyone can tell that you aren't you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I but you know, I I digress. I don't want to focus on anything that makes us frustrated. Well, we just did that. I know, right. That's a totally different kind of podcast. But you know, I think you know, in, in the in the spirit of where we started this conversation about, you know, being vulnerable and honest, I think it's it's worth having that and for people to hear where that frustration comes from because I know for a fact that you and I are on the short list of people that are willing to say it out loud, but we're not on the short list of people that are thinking and feeling this way. So if you're out there, you're hearing this and you're nodding along, we're talking to you, please don't be afraid to speak up. Be constructive, be supportive, but also be honest and completely authentically honest. Yeah, to ride the coattails of what I said on day one when you and I recorded, I would love to hear someone talk about what sucks about co-working and that is I think saying that out loud is just kind of a provocative invitation for someone to you know shit on something that we like and that's not what I'm asking for but there is an actual value in highlighting those things there's a very very real value in highlighting those things in uh, uh, patting each other on the back and saying we all of us love this thing terrific now let's talk about the the stuff that matters the, the things that can change the way that I function Every single day. The things that can make the, the, the things that I do much better when I get home. Speaking of getting home, is there something on your mind that you, uh, that you learned or you want to take away? And, and you know, uh, one of the best parts about traveling is we get to go home. And I don't know about you. I miss Indy Hall. Well, I miss Indy Hall so much. It's, it's a funny thing to talk about our trip. A lot, everyone asks about the trip when you get home. But uh, when people ask, the thing that I'm going to say is, yeah, Lisbon was great, but I missed you so much. And usually what they say is, shut up. You were in Portugal. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean it. I really do. But, um, yeah, I have, I have two major things that I'm thinking about. Uh, one of them was trying to answer a question that was on the lips of a lot of people at this conference this week, which was, uh, 
what type of co-working is Indie Hall? And that came from meeting someone new and someone learning uh, about where I come from and what Indie Hall is and not knowing and asking specifically what type, what genre. Yeah, what, is that, what does that question mean? Where do you think they were coming from with that question? That's, that's an awesome question. I think the first time I heard it, I had no answer because I didn't know what that question was. Or the co-working type of co-working. Yeah, exactly. I was like, the plain co-working? I don't, oh, I don't like that answer either. No, but it's, that's the thing. It's not. It's not. But um, I, I had not been... The best kind is the right answer. Yeah, whatever, the, whatever the best co-working is, we're that one. Um, and I'll stand by that. But uh, that was a question that I hadn't been asked. And so it wasn't a question that I had to ask myself or answer for myself. But what I think that's coming from is now we have so many people who are coming to these conferences from completely different walks of life, from totally different industries, who are coming to understand co-working within their terms. Which, by the way, I think is a, a sign of very good things. A very, very good thing. But what that means is now... These, these folks who are newer have to break co-working up into smaller pieces in order to understand it and make it fit into their lives. And that means a greater nuance in co-working in general, as if it wasn't more difficult enough to explain. But now it's like, okay, I get the co-working part, but what are you? Are you based on real estate? Are you pro-working? Are you, uh, what, what is it, destination co-working? That was one of the themes that came up a bunch in... Hospitality. Well, the hospitality, but like this whole idea of destination co-working, tying co-working to travel. Um, you know, I think we know that co-working, a good audience for co-working, whatever that perhaps means, uh, people... Uh, have come to believe that maybe the, the nomadic worker, um, the people who can work from anywhere but choose to work in a place yeah. and then be surrounded by community, um, there are a lot of people that are choosing to work from lots of places and they want to have these community experiences and be a part of a community wherever it is that they are. Uh, the Was it Steve from Hubud? Yes. Yeah, in Bali. In, in Bali. That was one of the most interesting talks. I think it was there was a panel at the end of day one that I was uh, – I mean, you actually you asked the question about uh, turnover on their community because they are a destination co-working space where by default there is a lot of people coming there for a very short period of time and then leaving and then leaving how do they manage that and I don't know what we expected exactly but I was truly impressed by by his answer and how thoughtful they were about the fact that that would even be a problem before they started yeah and what they've done to uh, to solve that problem before it becomes a problematic problem, before it creates sort of negative effects, mm-hmm. uh, was an answer that was very satisfying to me in terms of we put a ton of emphasis on the culture and not in a, a platitude as people say, well, we work on the community, we work on the culture. He described how we did, and it was a lot about their orientation, their onboarding, their connections to the more permanent local community, and a bunch of things that to me made a bunch of sense I wish I had of, of the people of the list of people that I wish I had gotten to actually have a conversation with Jeez. dude you are on the top of my list so yeah. please I want to I'm going to reach out to you and we're going to get you on the Coworking Weekly show because I have so many questions for you and I was so impressed and of course I want to come visit yeah, yeah, and I, well, I have to echo the visiting part. Yeah, but, especially uh, because it's kind of cold and rainy here today in Lisbon. It is cold and rainy, but uh, still beautiful. Portugal is still beautiful, even in the rain. Um, but uh, I was equally impressed with Steve's response. I thought it was uh, brilliant to find out that what I might have assumed that he was going to say was wrong. And what that confirmed for me is, even though we have these genres, these these breakups of, of different types of coworking, sure. We still have so much in common. We still have so much in common. And that's why I'm thinking about that question. A lot of folks ask me, what type of co-working is Indie Hall? And I'm left wondering, honestly, you know, I'm not sure. And I'm not necessarily sure what the question is worth. And I, I need to think more on a meta level about why we even bother asking rather than try to answer the question like, oh, well, let's fit ourselves into a category. Well, and this reminds me of sort of two things in particular. One was the, I'm sorry, man, there are a lot of vehicles driving by or the, the, the cinema today. So it is much noisier uh, than we expect. So, Saint-Georges. Saint-Georges, which is a beautiful, beautiful cinema, a very, very cool location um, to, to be holding the conference. So apologies for all of the extra noise in the background. Yeah. But that's what live on location gives you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, what was I saying? Um, 
Oh, uh, it reminds me of two things. One was when I came back from, gosh, was it Berlin or Paris? I think it might have been Berlin. Um, one of the first co-working Europe conferences that I went to. Let's say it's Berlin or Paris. About three years ago. Um, and I wrote an article, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, I think it was <laughs> it's on sex, drugs, and co-working or something yes. along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where I sort of alluded to sort of my first observations of, okay, there are big deal players here that are doing things that on a scale um, are, are very different from what we do. On an intention, very different from what we do. Um, so how are we the same and how are we different? Regis was uh, very new on everyone's mind. People were kind of panicked about it. Uh, and I wrote this article sort of looking to the history of rock and roll and how music has done very well by, uh, by allowing itself to be forked into genres. And it's amazing to track lineage of you know, things like death metal all the way back to jazz yeah. because there probably would be no death metal were there not jazz. Um, And, you know, more recently, this is a bit of a tangent before I come back to sort of part two of this this conversation about how we we, uh, describe ourselves. Uh, um, The documentary on HBO... The, uh, the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighters Dave, Grohl. Dave Grohl's doing this amazing documentary where they each episode is not is about the production of a song but it's not actually about the production of a song it's about the history of the music in a given city and I think there's so many things in the way that story is being told so much depth that I don't think you can do as with an industry that is as young as co-working, but there's a lot to be inspired by the location, the individuals, the influences, the you know the ins- the people who are most inspiring, the people who uh, brought people together, the people who created major institutions that for decades you know our industry's not been around for decades, but in the music industry, play, like these recording studios that have been around for decades and influenced thousands of musicians who were all in many ways a part of a family much like we feel in in the co-working world. So I think there's a lot we can learn from the music industry and the sort of the the history of music, not just the music industry, although I imagine both. The other industry that I think of when you ask this question is what kind of co-working are you uh, is a a question that uh, I've been sort of uh, reusing over and over and over is um, not so much a question but a comparison is sort of just use the word Co-working is about as specific as to use the word restaurant. It was De- it was Derek Neighbors uh, uh, from Gangplank in Arizona, who's another one of those outspoken, opinionated, super smart guys. <laughs> Which we love him. For. Oh my God, do we love him? And another person who I want to spend more time with. Agreed. Because um, he challenges us. Um, Derek, I think, was the first person to use that comparison, and so I use it often. Uh, and you know, part of the challenge is. If to say to to describe a place as a restaurant is as specific as to say you can go there and you will probably get food. Yeah, that's not really useful. It means nothing. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you can't find a restaurant that will satisfy you. And if you go to a restaurant that describes itself as Thai food and you order a cheeseburger, you're gonna get a weird look. Mm-hmm. If you go to a place to order, you know, barbecue ribs and they bring you a salad, you're going to look at them weird. So having, having this taxonomy of, you know, even within, let's look at like Chinese food restaurants, right? Even within Chinese food restaurants, there is takeout. Mm-hmm. And then there is like the traditional Chinese or the fine dining Chinese. Mm-hmm. So even within Chinese food, there is a range. There's room for all of them. Sure. For one, yeah. sometimes I want Chinese takeout. Sure. Sometimes I want to go to in, it's, uh, in Philadelphia. We have this place called Han Dynasty that's like awesome, Love it. like super awesome Szechuan style Chinese food. I go to a different place based on what I want. So what you're saying is, uh, in co-working, you think having a taxonomy, taxonomy uh, categorizing different types of co-working, you think that's a that's a good thing. That's a benefit. I do. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think where where that taxonomy comes from is important. Uh, uh, okay. And I think for that taxonomy to come from us uh, as proprietors or founders or operators or whatever of co-working spaces, even as leaders of a co-working industry or movement, um, is a very one-sided uncovering of where these things come from because – 
there are people who are missing from this conversation. By the way, a group of people that are largely missing from the conference conversation as well, which is the members of co-working spaces. Yeah, and you know, if you if this just occurred to me, if you make up a category for yourself, you are inherently not doing it because you listen to people and what they want. Right? If you just create a category and say, I am X type of co-working, that's what I am. Uh, odds are it's because you made that for yourself, not because it's based on the, the community that it serves. But instead, as a reaction, you want – and mo- most of those categories that I'm seeing are differentiation against another. Right. It's not describing what you are often. It's describing something that is the opposite of you. Right, it's sort of right. a, you you, cre- you create your ti- your name, your title, your descriptor because it is the op- opposite of something that other people might think that you are. Right. So it's like describing yourself as a ni- not Chinese food restaurant, and people say, "Well, what kind of food do you make?" Is it not Chinese well, not food? Chinese. Well, that's really not very helpful. Sure, sure. So you know, I think that the m- listening to the way that members describe is probably a clue. Yeah, I don't. I, this is a question I really wanted to host a session in the unconference about this two reasons i did not one there was so much good stuff on the board uh and two was there there were so few members in the audience i did not think it would be an actually a valuable conversation but i think it's a valuable conversation to have and for co-working space operators to have with their members about how do you describe this thing that you are part of to people who are not here, to your family members, to your friends, to people that you think should be here. Why do you say to them you should come and join this co-working space? And the thing that also stands out to me is what you were just saying about you know inventing a word. Think about how hard it is to describe co-working already, a made-up word. Yeah. And most people have never heard it before, and they go, what's that? And now you're going to maybe make a little bit of headway and then take – it's like one step forward, ten steps back by saying, well, we're this very made-up <laughs> version yeah. of that. And they're going to look at you kind of crooked, and you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to say, why don't people understand co-working? And the truth is it's not that people don't understand co-working. It's that you suck at describing it. Yes, yeah, and that's something that we can work on. That's something that we can actually work on. And I want to, I want to hold on to what you said when you said uh, uh, asking the question: How do you describe your community, your your co-working space? How do you describe that in your words? I think it would be really cool if there was a homework assignment, essentially, in which people had to do that. In, in their own privacy, not share it with anyone. We show up to a conference, and you stand up and you read what you wrote. Not if influenced by someone else or what somebody else said or said better than you, but how have you been describing it? Where does it come from? Why did you write that down? What is that? We, we can explore so many different types of of genre building just based on the way that we already talk about it right now without trying to invent words for ourselves. Like pro-working. Fuck. (laughs) All right, we need something other than pro-working to end on, and it can literally be anything else. Uh, What what should that be, Adam? (laughs) Wow. The the smell of the sausage truck, which is very close by, is a really good thing. Um, You know, one of the things that I'll be thinking about when I'm I'm going home, which I'm excited to do but not excited to leave, uh, is something... You mentioned Alix earlier, something that Alix talked to me about uh, this past week, which is the difference between the way that she runs Les Satellites and how Nico, whom she works with, runs Les Satellites. And she says that Nico comes from a very intellectual level of understanding co-working and researching co-working and really loving that aspect of things. And her... Uh, her embrace of her community and her management of her community is strictly emotional and personal. And it's, it's definitely not leaning on the research side of things, but it is about the people and how she feels and how they feel. That was something that maybe she didn't think much of when we talked about it, but those two pieces, the research side, the measurement side, coupled with the strictly emotional side, just the people in the room, those two things are very important. And sometimes I forget that they're, they are two things that exist together as a balance. Yeah, I think that's – as I was hearing you say that, you know, I think to 
Indie Hall was really started, and most of the entire co-working movement was started on, on really on instinct. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I think the visions of pioneering with a clear vision and a destination in mind, um, not, not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how this worked, and I think anyone who's telling that story uh, is a liar. That's um, and, and, Or they find themselves fighting nonstop uphill battles because it's all about convincing people about their vision, their vision, their vision. We really ran on those instincts and, and sort of a mix of my instincts. Jeff's instincts, things that he was able to teach me. His, he did have some experience and things that I didn't, which informed what we did, helped us make smart decisions, yeah. dodge bullets, so to speak. Uh, but it was still a lot of instinct. And as we've gotten bigger, having a better understanding has helped us get bigger and still stay good. Yeah. So I think when you start small and you can be really close to everybody – and you rush to grow very big before you get really good at it, before you understand those instincts. Um, sort of the way I think about it is you sort of get to experience everything in in higher resolution. Oh. Sort of, it's sort of like watching a, it's like watching the Nature Channel on high definition. You can see everything. Yeah. And when you're in a brand new community and a, and a young community and a small but growing community, you see everything. It is the Nature Channel on HD. Yes. And those of you who are in these kinds of communities or running these kinds of communities, you know what I'm talking about. The bad, the ugly. All of those things. As you get bigger, it's harder to see all of the things at the same time, and it's harder to get in HD. I know that I do not have as much information about what's going on inside of our community at north of 300 people as I did when we were 20 people. Yeah, It's impossible. It's, there's no way to do it. And even with all of the things that we have in place with our team, with our community members that are involved in helping that communication go smoothly, it's not possible. But the best thing that I've been able to do is make sure that I don't operate only in the sort of the, the, the realm of trying to make up for that by trying to measure everything, by trying to pit everything against a performance, by pitting everything against uh, a, a metric or a KPI or something like that. Having those things are important, but mm-hmm. if you do that and lose sight of the emotional things, those nuanced things, if you don't give yourself the time and pause for one-on-one conversations, for small group conversations, I mean, honestly, the entire conversation we had about a big conference needing to be sort of intentionally broken into smaller groups to go deeper co-working spaces benefit from that too yeah this is why growth is not it's not that it's bad it's that it's a completely different kind of work yeah it's a what got you here won't get you there kind of situation and you're you're gonna need to pay close attention to both of those things the emotional side your emotions as well as the emotions of your members as well as the operational side and and having tools to know what's going on in lots of places, even when you can't see it firsthand. Yeah, so, and, and that dovetails directly into something that I've been spending a lot of time on, which is thinking about the staff of a co working space, uh, the different level, the person that you bring on to be on a closer ground level with your members, with your community. So that way you're always staying in check with some of those aspects that become a little more difficult to see the larger things get the further you get. Um, so I have to say I was very thankful for Alix to bring that up. Uh, that was a very profound piece of, of uh, intellect that, I, that stayed with me this entire week. This is probably going to stay with me much longer, uh, and I'm glad for that. So thank you. That's a nice note to wrap up on. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. All right. So um, we are going to take off into the Portuguese sunset. <laughs> Which I can't see right now. It's a little cloudy. Um, you are headed to Nice to spend a few days with our friends at La Satellite. Yeah. I am headed uh, to northern Portugal to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, drink some Porto uh, and experience the rest of this beautiful country. And uh, we will rendezvous back here at the end of the week and then back in the U.S. And I can't wait. I have to thank everybody who, who put on the conference, everyone that I've met. This has been a blast. I hope to see you all again. Yeah, we'll see you again real soon.